Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49er faithful? It is Zaynak, be back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle podcast. And we got a special guest host today. He is the one and only Butcher Boy. You can find him on 95.7 The Game here locally in the Bay Area. From 7 to 11 p.m. with The Butcher Shop, he is Joe Shasky. What's up, Joe? How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Just trying to stay out of this rain here locally. I know, man. It's been like uh, this is not what we're paying exorbitant retail real estate prices for, right? You know what I mean? Like we're not we're not paying for this. <laughs> I know it sucks. It's ruining my golf game, to be honest with you. But we'll find out Saturday because we're supposed to meet up. So we'll see. We'll see that if they, we can use that as an excuse, right? I'll definitely use that as an excuse for for. Well, I have every. Ex- yeah, I have every excuse in the book, bro. I've written the book five times over. I have it patented. So if you want to copyright, you know, take some of my excuses, I'll definitely be giving them out on Saturday. <laughs> I'll, I'll take your excuses and extra golf balls because, you know, I'll, I'll be needing them for sure. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Thanks awesome. for having me on. No problem, man. Thanks for doing this, man. I, I know uh, I know you've been busy, and, and congratulations on, on the gig at 95.7. It's, it's super awesome to hear your story. Uh, for those of you who don't know Joe's story, basically he was a, a caller who used to call in um, to uh, Damon Bruce and, and various other shows and, and eventually – became a regular and Damon Bruce had him in the studio one afternoon. I just happened to be listening to you on the way home from work on my commute. I'm like, man, this is awesome. I got to talk to this guy and we ended up messaging and, and here you are. So, I mean, can you, can you kind of tell us how it started and how you kind of got into it? Yeah, basically, you know, I, uh, I was an awful child growing up. I mean, I play a lot of sports. That was kind of the pillar of my life, uh, was having sports as a backdrop and, Without sports, I think I would probably, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know where I would be because I got kicked out of just about every school I attended, um, to be totally honest with you. But sports was always at the forefront. I was either playing, I was coaching, maybe I was refereeing, or I was watching. And specifically when it comes to professional sports, me and my boys, our whole life, our whole culture is built around sports and the religion of sports, if you will. So going to 49er games specifically is like a ritual in my family. I grew up in San Francisco, a stone's throw away from Candlestick out in the Excelsior, just uh, near Geneva and Mission. And part mm-hmm. of the, you know, the, the going to games was me and my grandfather, me and my brother, me and my dad. And my grandfather's had tickets to uh, the 49ers since Kizar. And basically, I've always called into all the different shows, you know, and I never thought with technology being what it was today, I never had the foresight way back in the day to either get into broadcasting through college and things like that. I never thought the technology would be as such to where I could actually create my own content. I just thought that was something that journalists did. And so as the game started changing, I I hopped on other people's podcasts, Sal Castaneda, of local legend at KTVU to be specific. And, and he kept saying, dude, you got to do this. I don't know why you're not doing this. And this was probably five or six years ago. And I, I got myself a MacBook and I just started to make my own podcast. And so, uh, I, long story short, um, I went from doing ghetto little rap tapes, if you will, like where these just <laughs> horrible sounding quality, uh, in a garage or in my basement. And then it kind of morphed into me pitching it to different radio stations. And if it wasn't for people like Damon Bruce and Bonte Hill and guys like that to have my back and endorse me, I would never be able to, to get in the doors. And 
uh, about a year ago, um, they let me on the air and they said they're going to start paying me. Not a whole lot. I mean, I'm, I still have a regular job and whatnot. But, uh, you know, weekend shifts turns into weeknight shifts, which turned into a regular gig. And so here I am today, kind of proof into the pudding that anybody can do this as long as you have the passion and the knowledge and you can be unique and be yourself. I think that's super cool, man. I think that the fact that you literally, you know, when Drake's started from the bottom, you literally started from the bottom, right? You weren't handed <laughs> anything. You pretty much went all the way. You, you didn't take any handouts. You literally just fought your way into a media gig, not having a media background. And I think for a lot of people that are in that same situation now with, like you said, the advent of podcasts and things like that, that still want to get to that sort of avenue, it's kind of like a, a beacon of hope for them, I think that that they can look at you and look at your experience and be like, you know what? Butcher Boy did it, so I can do it too, right? And I think that Absolutely. that sets a precedent and it sets an important precedent because if you look at guys like Stephen A. Smith, I don't know if you and I know you're scouring Twitter because we, we message each other all the time. We like each other's tweets all the time. So I know when you saw Stephen A. Smith's tweet about Hunter Henry in the, <laughs> the AFC Championship game after being inactive the entire season, he's like talking about Hunter Henry being a great player this entire season. And he didn't even play like guys like that that are prominent in the media that are giving false facts to people and, and people are actually relying on that. Right. So I think it's great that somebody is in there who actually knows, knows their stuff. Right. And I think that's, it's, you know, it's you know what it present. is, Zane? Yeah. You know what it is for me? I used to get so frustrated. I would be screaming at the television, screaming at the radio. Like, what do these guys know? They moved to this market from maybe six or seven other markets and they come here and they start talking about quote unquote, our 49ers, our giants, mm. our warriors. And it's like, I look at sports almost like a book where if this person just dropped in from Atlanta, you know, they're coming in at chapter 57. They don't understand all of the context that got us to this particular point. If you didn't live through the Dennis Erickson era, if you didn't sit and watch the actual Mike Singletary era, how can you understand how special the Jim Harbaugh era was? Do you get mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And so mm -hmm. I would be so frustrated listening to people um, that were more national guys talking about our local teams. And that's where I think that with the, all the technology being what it is now, you can create these little pockets and these little niches where you can be a specialist who literally knows more about your team than any of the local people because a lot of them are using this area as a stepping stone to get to something bigger, like a Stephen A. Smith, for example. How can mm -hmm. he know about you know Jeff Garcia and Terrell Owens and Garrison Hurst better than you and me. I mean, we watched it. He did. And so it gets me very frustrated. And that's kind of what spurned the fire for me to connect with other people like yourself. And if it wasn't for social media, you know, backing all these things, you're, you can literally DM anyone you want and have them on your podcast. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, the, the, me, the thought of me being on KMBR or 95.7 The Game or any of those types of things, it felt so far away. And so that's what I think that technology has really done. It's united us in many ways. It's divided us as well when it comes to politics, but it's united us in many ways, and it's given other people like you and I a platform to really speak about our teams because we know just as much as the quote-unquote experts. I agree. I agree. And the, the access that we get because of that, I think that it it's kind of a blessing, right? So basically, like what I'm kind of, what I'm trying to get at here is that for those of you who are aspiring and wanting to do this, you can do it. Do it. Get out there. Do it. Try as hard as you can to to get where you want to be, and 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 you know if you're like Joe, you can end up 
scoring something really great. Right. So, uh, I'm still on my way, man. Absolutely. Like you're like, you're like, Absolutely. you're like, you know, like that's like end goal right here. I'm still on my way. I'm aspiring, you know, like, and I, and I definitely look up to people like you. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. I, I really appreciate oh, that. Oh, come on, man. Look, yeah. look, if it wasn't for people like Damon, Bonte Hill, Sal Castaneda, Matt Steinmetz, Guru, all these different people, Brian Murphy at KMBR. There's so many people along the way who have not just inspired me, but have endorsed me along the way that if I didn't have those connections, Dan Bibley, another one, I, I don't know where I'd be right now. And you got to just keep grinding, keep putting things out and don't think about how crappy it is when you first put your first thing out. Did Jordan dunk from the free throw line, you know, at seven years old? No, he had to work his way up to that. Steph Curry's pregame routine, he had to work up to that particular mastery, if you will. And it's the same thing with, with journalism. You need your reps. And the other thing I would say is, don't take yourself that seriously. We're just talking about sports. This isn't brain surgery, and it's not, you know, the Manhattan Project where we're, we're, we're trying to come up with a nuclear bomb or something like that. We're talking sports, and most of us, like myself, we've played more sports than all of the people that are covering it. So we have a fundamental grasp that's a little more nuanced than your average person. It's kind of funny. Don't you always love it when somebody tweets at you and just like, oh, I don't know if you've ever played sports and then comes off with some asinine <laughs> response to your argument. It's like, well, actually, I mean, I you, you mentioned all the sports that you played and, you know, I played threes of NCAA baseball and like, you know, it's like, you know, we we understand that right on a, on a different level so it's just it's just kind of funny to me but um no but you're I, totally right what i always joke around is i go the person who's giving me these expert opinions would i want them to teach my son or daughter how to play catch and i know that sounds stupid but it's like take a step back they don't know any more than you and i we're all just hypothesizing speculating and if you know your stuff then you know your stuff that doesn't mean you're gonna be right all the time you just throw it out there and if you have an educated guest your opinion is as credible as Tim Kawakami's or as Marcus Spears or whomever you want to pluck locally who has major credibility nationwide. For sure. And Kawakami, I, I definitely want to get to that in the Katie thing at the, at the end of the show. But uh, but I did want to start off. So we're, we're as of the recording of the show, we're a couple of weeks removed from the Super Bowl. And man, I don't know what you expected out, out of that Super Bowl, but I, I left wanting more because that's my last bit of Super uh, football until the the next season i mean preseason i don't really count because it's like all right well it's only really the first time to see the rookies and that's it right you don't really see the starters jimmy's not going to really play that much you you really just see the draft class and maybe a couple of free agents that they sign them this year but september is the time when i really that's that's like all right that's when i'm going to church every sunday the church of football right and <laughs> it's the Super Bowl is like the culmination of the previous season and you want it to be this great game like it was last year, right? Or the previous year. And I really felt like this year's Super Bowl left a lot to be desired. The Patriots didn't play well. The Rams played worse. And it was just kind of like a there was no signature moment in this game. I mean, am I, do, am I crazy feeling that way? No, no, you're not. I, I think if you were to spin it toward the 49ers, I think the one big takeaway is that my goodness, the defensive coordinator matters. I, I thought Wade mm -hmm. Phillips lost in all the minutiae. I thought he pitched a phenomenal defensive plan toward Tom Brady. I mean, how many times has Tom Brady looked confused in any big game? I mean, he was completely mm -hmm. stifled, and I think Wade Phillips deserves a ton of credit. Conversely, having watched the Rams so much, I was really disappointed that Sean McVay went away from all of the principles that got them to that point, riding Todd Gurley, uh, running that jet sweep action on every single play. I expected Jared Goff to look, you know, more like a young player in a big game. Just because I've seen him at Marine Catholic, I saw him at Cal. He didn't have a lot of big-time games in, in those programs. And so mm. I expected him to look a little shell-shocked. He's going up against Belichick, for crying out loud. 
But yeah, it left a little to be desired. But if I'm a Niners fan, I'm actually encouraged because now the Rams' window is that much smaller because they're going to have to pay Jared Goff at some point, which means they're going to weaken that team around him. And then at some point, Brady and Belichick got to fall off, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they got to. Um, but, uh, but I'm with you, man. And more than anything, it was a bitter 2018 NFL season because we got robbed of seeing the development of Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think he right. got robbed in particular because this was a big year for him to take a step forward. I wanted to see him play all 16 games. I wanted to see him see what he can do with a full year under Kyle Shanahan. I wanted to see what Kyle Shanahan could do with him. I mean, we're now staring at 2019 and we probably know a little more about Nick Mullins than we do Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's... Mm -hmm. That's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I th I feel the same way about about the the Jimmy injury in particular because you're going into now the 2019 season. Jimmy's going to be 27 years old. He's never started a full season, so 27 yeah. going on 28. Like you need to know what you have in him. And I think he's I think he's a stud. I think he's a star. Like it doesn't take much uh, aside from the 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 tape that he's already put out there to show that he's a star. But I'm I'm with you. Like I feel like we were robbed because we couldn't see what Jimmy Garoppolo could do in a, in a Kyle Shanahan offense. And even the games that he was there, he was not able to really find a rhythm because honestly speaking, I don't feel like, I feel like Kyle Shanahan didn't know who he could really go to because he didn't really know his yeah. roster that well. George Kittle was not the same George Kittle at the end of the season as it was at the beginning of the season. Matt Breida was not the yeah, same guy at no the end doubt. of the season. Marquise Goodwin was missing for all or most of those three games. And he, he is the, the X factor for Jimmy Garoppolo, especially going back to last year. So I think that really you entered 2019 with a lot of, with a lot of unknowns, but you enter 2019 with a lot of hope, like you said, because the Rams, they went all in and you hear armchair GMs and Twitter GMs and things like that. They want to talk about, Oh, you signed this guy and signed that guy. And, and they're basically playing Madden. And that's the argument against <laughs> playing Madden right there. Because you have yeah, a team, no, in the, I think it's a good point. Yeah, you have a team in the Rams that they they went all in for a two year window or three year window, and they lost the Super Bowl. It's like if you're going to do that, at least finish the job, and they were never able yeah. to. So that's the argument against going all in. And I feel like if you're one player away and you need like a Deion Sanders, like the Niners did in '94, if you need that, you go get it. But right now, the Niners aren't one player away, and 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 I know I've been a little bit critical of them uh, on Twitter, saying that they should have been more active last offseason, which I think they should have. I think that they're not, I still think that they don't need to go blowing out their cap this off season. It's a, it's a rebuild, not, not like a retool where you, where you're only one player, one player away. And just circling back to the Super Bowl and the actual game itself, Wade Phillips always seems to have an answer for Tom Brady, no matter where they play, no matter what team Wade Phillips is on, he always seems to play Brady the right way and, and, and be, he's able to contain him. And Brady never really has great games against the Wade Phillips defense. And I really think that, if it was the Saints, who I thought should have been in the Super Bowl because of that that blown call, which I want to ask you about in a little bit, if it was the Saints playing the Patriots, the Saints probably win that game because it, Tom Brady did not look like the Tom Brady we're used to, and the Patriots did not have that attention to detail that we're used to seeing them have. And I really felt like um, if it wasn't the Rams and Sean McVay and that like deer in the headlights look that Jared Goff had all game, I feel like a better team would have beaten them. And that's just kind of the way it goes. Like you play whoever whoever comes across your schedule. And, and that day it happened to be the Rams in the Super Bowl. And I think that you give the Patriots credit for winning that game. And Tom Brady has six now. And, and the, the Montana comparisons are pretty much over, which in my mind, they're not. I, th I still think the Montana is still right up there. But you look at where the 49ers need to get to, and that's the measuring stick. And it's, it's looking better than it did last year because the level of play that you saw in the Super Bowl, I think the Niners can match that. 
I think you you don't think the Niners can bring that for one game. I think they can. Well, I think I think there's a couple of things. There's a lot to unpack there. Number one, regarding the Saints, I think they were fading toward the end of the year. Uh, Drew Brees finally starting to look his age, which was kind of shocking. I mean, mm-hmm. he opened the game with an interception. He closed the game with an interception. It was just two bad decisions, forced throws. Um, yes, I do think had Brady played that particular game, I definitely think the Saints would have been a more competitive matchup. But my bigger question is, what the hell happened to Todd Gurley? I mean, right. when I saw them roll into Levi's in October, uh, what's this? Aaron Donald was absolutely unstoppable, and mm-hmm. he was dead silent in the second half of that Super Bowl. And then Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley, to me, whether it's – I think he's partying off the field. Now, that's reckless speculation, but I'm hearing from lots of different people. He's hanging out with rappers like YG and whatnot, and they're sipping the lean and the purple drank. That's the rumors mm. I'm hearing coming out of there. Yes, from a lot of credible sources. So – who the hell knows what's going on with him? But it reminded me of a, in a way, of the Justin Smith injury kind of derailing the defense for the 49ers the Super Bowl year when they lost to the Baltimore Ravens, where you just didn't have a 100% Joe Smith, uh, Justin Smith, and that really had a trickle effect on the entire defense. Look at that offense for the Rams when they didn't have Todd Gurley humming. They looked a heck of a lot different, didn't they? They did. And I just. I love C.J. Anderson. I like what he provided. But, I mean, let's be honest. The guy was damn near jobless for 14 weeks this year. He got cut by the Raiders. And mm-hmm. he gave him some, some great totes of the rock. But the superstar that they paid tons of money to and the guy who was the MVP candidate was Todd Gurley. And when he was non-factor, they just didn't look right at all. And I know the Cooper Cup injury affected them. Uh, but, but, again, getting back to the Niners, I would say this, and The one thing I would take away is, you got to make enough free agent splashes to balance it out while you're building up, right? So, mm-hmm. for example, last year, you brought in Richard Sherman. I mean, where would this defense be without Richard Sherman if you're right. a 49ers fan? I mean, they'd, be, they'd be so far behind the eight ball, it wouldn't even be funny. But they need to get one or two other veteran, and they don't have to be superstars like a Demarcus Lawrence, but it needs to be somebody who's at least a competent starter because right now I'm looking at a team that needs – Guard, center, guard. I'm looking at a team that needs a, a number one wide receiver. Definitely needs safety help because every three plays, one of our safeties is jogging off the field with a season-ending injury. I need mm-hmm. another cornerback. I still don't know what Tavarius Moore is. I need an outside linebacker, and I need an edge rusher. Those are a lot of needs, and I don't think you can fill them with five draft picks. Yeah, and I think uh, – and they uh, remember, they got that sixth draft pick, I believe. Uh, it was a comp pick, so now they have – they got six uh, total at this point. But – I think that it comes. It really comes down to difference makers, Joe. I, I feel like they did a good job in year one of filling out the roster because let's remember where they came from, right? The dark years, the bulky years, right? Yeah. When towards the end of his tenure, the the roster was so bare of talent, it was so bad that they were literally pulling guys off the street to start at key positions. And it's not like they had they had a coach like Kyle Shanahan that could get the most out of them, right? So they're coming out of that, and I and I think that. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan had bought themselves like one to two years because of that, because of the state that the roster was in. But at the same time, when a, a difference maker comes open on a free agent market, like I, I, I love when people ask me, they're like, Oh, if you think, if you think you could have done a better job, who would you have signed? It's not about that. Like I'm not paid to do that. John Lynch has paid millions <laughs> of dollars to make that decision. I'm some nobody who's on Twitter making a prediction. Don't ask me, ask the guy in charge. But if you're going to ask, I would say that a guy like Allen Robinson would have would have. Oh my God! You're, Zane, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I was screaming about Allen Robinson all 
summer. He sat there and sat there and sat there. Mm -hmm. And Chicago swooped him up for a pretty reasonable price tag. And then when they rolled into Levi's, did you not see all of the Giants third down chain moving catches that this guy had over the middle? I mean, he made mm -hmm. play after play. Now, granted, Devarius Moore stripped him toward the end of that game, which actually gave the Niners life. But even in the playoff game, the guy made tons of big catches. And he had one 10 catches biggest, in the playoffs. Oh, I mean, he, he was awesome. But one of yeah. the biggest areas of need for me is getting Jimmy Garoppolo red zone help, getting mm -hmm. George Kittle outside the hashes help. That's what they desperately need. You brought up Marquise Goodwin. At this point, and this is fair or not, I can't rely on Marquise Goodwin. I don't know what the heck happened this year. I know he's had some family issues, and, and my heart goes out to him. We've had family issues, so I'm totally empathetic to that. But at the same time, the business needs to keep on booming when you're not around. I mean, that's just that's the cold reality of the NFL. And so I need to find out what the heck's going on with him, and can I rely on him moving forward? In an ideal situation, Marquise Goodwin's my three or my four. I mean, that's the way, if my team is humming, he's a three or a four, not a one or a two. This year, mm -hmm. he goes out first game against Minnesota, gets hit in the quad, and it was like Jimmy had nothing. He's relying on a rookie, Dante mm -hmm. Pettis, who literally had like 15 snaps in preseason. So mm -hmm. th they need to do a better job of surrounding their franchise quarterback with legitimate playmakers. It doesn't have to be superstars like Julio Jones, just competent starters. I mean, even Pierre Garçon, he gave them nothing this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And the Garçon thing, like, so we knew when that signing happened, it was more of a, a stopgap, but it's like, all right, those stopgaps have to stop now, right? You really have to find yeah. guys that have started and have a track record of starting. And, and uh, I feel like, Jarek McKinnon, I really like the sign. Did Jarek McKinnon sign it? I thought that he would be a, a really good fit in this scheme. Um, I think that, honestly speaking, Matt Breida has probably taken his job at this point because there's no way that you sit Breida coming off an almost thousand yard season and showing what he showed, both running and catching the ball. He didn't drop a, a pass this season. Fantastic hands by Breida catching out of the backfield. So I don't think that McKinnon gets that starting job back. I think that he's going to have to earn it. And now you have a ton of money tied up in a guy who's basically like a, not a third down back, but platooning. And when I put that question out on Twitter, like, oh, what is McKinnon worth? And, and is he really that good? People came back like, oh, McKinnon is going to be great. He's going to be awesome. And if you look at the statistics, he's never, he's never really had 16 games where he's been the full-time starter. He's never rushed. Zane, he's, never, he's never topped 900 all-purpose yards in any season. Exactly. He's been in the five years. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying, right? He's like Matt Breida outproduced him in one season. Jarek McKinnon yeah, has not rushed for more than 500 yards in his career in, in, in any one given season. So I think that you can't count on these guys that are, are halftime, like part-time starters or have never started a game. You can't count on those guys anymore. You have to bring in guys that are actually like, oh, this guy has a starting record of, of uh, 16 games. Um, Tyrell Williams is, is one of the guys that I want because he's a big body wide receiver and he's been a thousand yard receiver. He started 16 games separately. You know, he's, he's been able to do that. He has the second most touchdowns of 40 yards or more over the past three years. So a guy like that, that has a track record. And I really feel like they lack guys like that on the team right now. Well, you know, I think there's, this is a, a part of the debate and this isn't a knock at Kyle Shanahan. I really like Kyle, but Kyle's super young, super young. And he, he still has not had a whole lot of experience when it comes to personnel. And one of the things that frustrates me with Kyle, and again, I'm optimistic. I like him. I love that he's got 49er roots. I loved his dad. I thought it was the right hire. Um, you know, I'm willing to be patient with him. I mean, this isn't, this is not like a turnkey operation where he needs to come in and win right away. Like you said, they're starting from zero. All that being said, I'm a little worried that he is so obsessed with his quote unquote scheme that he'll actually 
it diminishes the value of actual studs, if you get what I'm saying. So he mm. thinks he can scheme up a play every single time. And, and I love guys that can do that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you brought up Wade Phillips. Everywhere Wade Phillips has gone, he has had a legitimate anchor stud on that defense. Mario Williams, Vaughn Miller, clearly this year with Aaron Donald. He's done it everywhere he's gone. DeMarcus Ware when he was in Dallas prior as a head coach. So my point being is that you got to have studs every now and then as the greater racers. You, you brought up Allen Robinson. Sometimes the quarterback's going to have to throw up a 50-50 ball. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're relying on Kendrick Bourne as your leading wide receiver next year with 479 yards in 2018, that's 97th in the NFL. 97th, okay? Mm-hmm. That means every single team in the league had three wide receivers with more yardage than the team leader for the 49ers. That's not good enough. And if I want to make an accurate assessment of what Jimmy is this year in 2019 – then I need to get the dude some playmakers. And so I'd like to see Kyle kind of come off this stance. In regards to Jarek McKinnon, I liked the signing on the surface. But when you dig deeper, this guy was never an all-purpose back from Minnesota. Uh, he, he can't get the difficult yards on third and short. One area where Kyle's offenses very, very much struggle is in the red zone and in third and short. And the reason being is because when there's a compacted space, he has a very difficult time running these stretch plays because that's what he wants to do in between the 20s. If you watch them, they will march down the field, then they get into the red zone where everything gets a little more compacted. You need people that command double teams. You need a wide receiver on the outside that forces that safety over, which gives you more running lanes for your big body backs. And then I look at someone like New England. They've got a running back for every single situation. They've got Burkhead. They've got James White. They've got Sonny Michelle. I need more multiplicity coming out of the backfield this offseason. Find me a short yardage bruiser. That's what I'm looking for. I know that sounds super niche, but that's where this team can win is in the margins. It's the little moves. It's not the giant moves. Yeah, and looking ahead to free agency, who, who can they get? Who can they target? So I've got three guys on my list. Obviously, number one, Earl Thomas. Right, difference maker. That guy, he he can immediately Absolutely. make your defense back. That, that your defense becomes one of the better defenses in the league just just based off of that signing because Robert Sala cannot run his scheme. You can't run that Seattle scheme without a, a free safety that can cover sideline to sideline, and that's exactly what Earl Thomas is. Right, you pair him with Sherman, and you pretty much have the same sort of dynamic that they had in Seattle, where you double the side opposite Sherman. In Seattle, they would just they would isolate Sherman, leave him on his side of the field. He would he would be on single coverage, man coverage on his side of the field. The other side is where they double Thomas with because that's where the, the, the weaker corner would be, right? Whoever it, it may be, Tavarius Moore, uh, Akela Witherspoon, whoever it is, free agent, whatever it is, you can double that side of the field. Trust it, Sherman. I mean, Sherman had a fantastic season. You mentioned him earlier. He gave up one touchdown this entire season. Should have made the Pro Bowl, got snubbed. I, I really feel like if he was on a better team, he would have got that call. But he had a fantastic season. So you, he, is, he is who he is. You know who he is. If you yeah. get Earl Thomas, that immediately shores up your defense, right? Second guy, I mentioned, I mentioned him earlier, uh, Tyrell Williams. I think that some people don't think he's a scheme fit because Kyle Shanahan likes smaller, shiftier receivers that can get open to smaller spaces. But Tyrell Williams is one of those guys. He's been, again, he's been a thousand yard receiver. He didn't have, a, he hasn't, the last two years, he's tailed off a little bit. But I really feel that's, that's more a result of them getting Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler more involved in, in, their, uh, in their game plan. But I think that he'd be a good big body receiver, six foot four, he's 200 plus pounds. Um, you know, he's, he's a, he's a good red zone target that kind of alleviates that problem inside the, it's specifically like not even inside the 20, like even inside the 10, they seem to have, yeah. I don't know if you notice this, Joe, but like they seem to have the most first and goals at like the nine and a half yard line than I've ever seen in my life with any team. 
And that's like the worst yeah. spot where you can be, right? Like, because you can't get that first down and you're like, all right, we're not neither here nor there. And it's just, what do you do? You have to throw it. So Tyrell Williams would be a great target in that, in that same sort of uh, situation. The third guy, and, and this is kind of like a, 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 a nice tab, not a have to have, would be CJ Mosley. And I think that he's going to command a, a big price tag because he's going to be one of the better linebackers on the market. But if you get CJ Mosley there, he immediately fills a need. You can put him next to Fred Warner. Fred Warner can maybe uh, uh, be free to run sideline to sideline a little bit more. And with those three signings plus uh, you know a good draft where they draft an edge rusher at the beginning, like I think that helps immensely on their defense. Yeah, Zane. I mean, uh, to be totally fair with you, I could come up with forty or fifty different scenarios this off season where we could get creative and bolster the slot this roster. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean that whether that's trading out of the number two spot, maybe that's flipping spots with Jacksonville, acquiring Jalen Ramsey, putting him in this secondary if you can't get an Earl Thomas. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. I want to monitor the Demarcus Lawrence situation. Anthony Barr in Minnesota is an absolute stud. Love to have him. I think mm-hmm. he fills multiple needs. B.J. Mosley someone that I love. I, I mean, he's just an absolute leader. If Baltimore lets him go, we should be all over that. He'd mm-hmm. be a perfect person for Fred Warner to play alongside. I even think Elijah Lee showed a lot of promise last year. I, I know he was out of, you know, out of position multiple times on big plays. But, I mean, this is a guy we weren't even relying on coming into the year. He played so many snaps, and I just thought – I love the way he, he motored around the field every single play. He doesn't give up. He's a hard hitter. I think he's athletic. I like what we have there. Safety and cornerback, man, it's, it's, to me, it's a very big pressing need. And then, of course, for me, instead of edge rusher, I would rather have a number one wide receiver. And, mm-hmm. and my argument here is if Jimmy doesn't show major progress in this next year, I mean, you're looking at an entire regime change. You're looking at a blowout. Now, I know some people are going to be like, no way. Lynch isn't going to get blown out. Kyle's not going to get blown out. I mean, you never know. Jed might get thirsty and, and frustrated and angry and wanting something different. If they have a 6-10 and 10 season again next year, can you afford to take on another $16 million Jimmy Garoppolo season? Or would you cut ties with them for the $15 million on April 1st like you're supposed to? I, I don't know. There's a lot of questions that I can come up with. But in this offseason, you got to get creative. I'll throw another name at you, and this isn't a free agent, but I think it's someone you can be had for pretty relatively cheap, especially when you contrast it with Antonio Brown's cost right now. A.J. Green. A.J. Mm-hmm. Green needs a change of pace. He needs to get off that AstroTurf, out of that division. I think he's never had a quarterback as good as Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and the, the key to this offseason for me, Zane, I'm telling you, do not surrender draft picks from the 2019 draft. I'm moving future assets because if I'm Lynch, if I'm Kyle, the future is not guaranteed. All right. Play with as many picks as you can get this year, but trade those 2020 assets to go all in, at least to an extent, on Jimmy Garoppolo for 2019. I need to give him weapons to take the burden off his shoulders because I want to see him. I want to see him do well. If he does well, this team will have a fighting chance and will be in the playoff conversation toward the end of the year. That's really all all we're looking for is can you be relevant December 15th, right? I mean, is the bar that low? We, we just want to get back to the playoffs. We're not asking for Super Bowls. Get back to the playoffs. And I think if you get a number one wide receiver, there's so many guys in the draft you can get on the edge, whether it's Bosa, Montez, Sweat. I mean, take your pick of guys. Josh Allen, someone I absolutely love. But you can have your, your, your choice, even if you trade down a little to acquire more draft picks. There's so many different options available this year. I, and I love, I love the Tyrell Williams uh, acquisition. I think that would be a great one. You need a 6'4", 6'5", bodied receiver. Dante Pettis is kind of slight, 
Marquise Goodwin, obviously very small, more of a slot guy. They, they need somebody on the outside who can command that safety to, to look over the top and then opens up the middle of the field for George Kittle. Here's another one no one ever talks about. I'd even be open to bringing in a second tight end uh, just to take the load off of George Kittle and to mm-hmm. give Kyle more diverse options down in the red zone. You talk about all the – how many times were they first and eight or first and goal from the eight, first and goal from the nine. Get me a second tight end in there. Run that boot action all day. Uh, mm-hmm. Force these linebackers to cover George Kittle and, let's say, a Jared Cook or some other veteran type of a receiver who's a pass-catching tight end. Uh, there's so many options, Zane. I, I know I've, I sound like I'm waffling here, but I, I can make a case for 40 or 50 different combination of moves uh, this offseason that would get you in striking distance. I look at the division. The division's not that great. Arizona is... I, I do not like the Cliff Kingsbury hire. If they trade Josh Rosen, I mean, this is the guy who beat you twice this year. Mm-hmm. You're going to go all in on Kyler Murray. I'm very skeptical there. Seattle, still Seattle with Russell Wilson, but I don't think they're that great. And I think the Rams are going to take a big step back. So for me, this is the offseason where I need to I need to really shake things up, man. I really do. Yeah, I think this this offseason is going to be super important. I think the multiple media personalities that cover the 49ers have also echoed that same sentiment that this is going to be a make or break sort of offseason for the 49ers. I don't necessarily think they're on the hot seat yet because of the Jimmy injury. Like that, that kind of bought them another year. But I think that now, look, you have a top three pick again. The, the last one they spent on Solomon Thomas, which is, you could say that that's, that's not working out the way that they thought it would, but I never really thought that he was a, a difference maker anyways. But you've got another top five pick. You've got a ton of cap room. You've got a bunch of guys that are talented coming back off of injury. You have a healthy Jimmy G going into the season. You have now an emerging star at tight end George Kittle, who can be a, a number one sort of option if you need him to be. You have what should have been a thousand yard back in Breda before he got hurt. So you have a lot of these tools that you didn't have before. But I really think that at this point, like you said, like there's several different ways that they can go about improving their team. Like it's not just like a a, a one. Like you're, you're just going to do like a, and like, you're going to improve your team just by, it's not, it's like a through Z. There are many ways to improve your team. Right. So mm-hmm. when it comes down to, to the draft, you know, moving forward to, to the draft and we will have a, uh, for our listeners, we will have a draft show, um, before, uh, before April, but there are guys at number two that you can pick. Like, I don't necessarily think they should trade out because look, look, Joe, this is what the 49ers have done in the past. I'm not being critical. I'm, I'm pointing out an observation to me what they've done in the past is they've tried to outsmart the system. They've said, okay, you know what? We'll trade down, pick up more picks and we'll get a player that we like, not necessarily like the player that will help us, but Oh, this guy will be good enough. Right. Did it with Armstead. They did it with, um, trading back and getting Solomon Thomas instead of getting Derman Jane, or um, Malik hooker. One of these, one of these, uh, Joel Adams was my pick that year that, that I thought they should have had Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I mean, there's so many different guys you can make an argument for. Exactly. Fournette as well. I mean, so, I mean, there's, there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of picks that they could have had at that point. They, they outsmart, they, they try to outsmart the system and they end up with Solomon Thomas who was probably one of the worst first picks in that first 10 picks. Right. So I think that, I think that really what they're going to do is they're going to really consider trading back from number two, because they're going to say that, okay, we had Montez sweat in senior bowl. He, and, and I don't know if you saw, but he absolutely wrecked the senior bowl. Like he was, he was a stud out there. And I feel like that could be one of their targets because they had the chance to work closely with them. Josh Allen, as you know, he has a production and, and Nick Bosa, if he falls, if man, if Arizona trades Josh Rosen and drafts Kyler Murray, I am going to laugh so hard because 
they have no need to do that. I know that Cliff Kingsbury, the, the Kyler Murray connection and all that stuff, but they have no reason to trade Josh Rosen. The fact that even that there's even speculation about this is so funny to me because that house is on fire with no chance of pointing it out right now. And, and if they draft Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa falls right into your lap and you have a generational pass rusher and there's no way you trade out of number two. But I really think well, that they, they'll consider trading out of number two and pick up more picks. But that's not what they need, man. They need, they need difference makers. They need guys like, they need a guy who can start tomorrow. They don't need a guy like middle of the first round. Oh, this guy could be, could be what we want. Go get, if you need a Josh Allen, go get Josh Allen. If you need a Montez Sweat, go get Montez Sweat. But damn it, that has to be your pick that you cannot settle in this draft. Well, you know, I hear you 100%. But I say this every year. A draft spot or a draft position is merely a starting point. You just got to nail the pick. And I know mm-hmm. that sounds super simplistic. Just nail the pick. You can find value in every spot in the entire draft. Dwight Clark, everyone knows, drafted super late, eighth, ninth, tenth round uh, out of Clemson, all right, when they had ten rounds back in the day. George Kittle, their best draft pick, fifth round pick. How many teams passed on him? The fit has to be there. you got to be able to coach him up, all those things. Just nail the pick. So, for example, let's say Jacksonville wants to move up. Let's say Kyler Murray goes into the number one slot. Arizona takes him. And now Jacksonville's sitting there. They're begging to move up. And they're willing to swap for Jalen Ramsey. You're not entertaining that, at least. At least thinking about acquiring Jalen Ramsey and switching first-round picks. See, that's where I am actually listening. And I hear you. Believe me, I do not want a Solomon Thomas ever again. I, I, I get that. But on draft night, uh, the, the more egregious mistake for me was trading Trent uh, Brown away. I mean, mm. they were th- that was a draft night mistake on so many levels. You moved up in the draft. Why? You gave up a pick and a starting tackle, I hear these people, oh, the scheme. Dude, at the end of the day, it's football. You still got to block people. Yes, on certain plays, I want the scheme to be there and to have a nice fit. What's Belichick's scheme? What's his scheme on defense? It depends who they're playing. It depends what down it is. It, de- it depends who the, where, are they on the road? Are they at home? They're 4-3, they're 3-4. I need more multiplicity. Giving up on Trent Brown and then acquiring Mike McGlinchey on the front end looks really good. Guess what? Bailey's still 36, 37 years old, and at some point you're going to have to fulfill that other tackle spot. When you had Derwin James sitting on the board, you could have taken him. Now, I like the McGlinchey pick. I, I, I really do. But this is where I get frustrated with the Niners. They're in no position to let go of solid quality players. Solid quality players. Philadelphia won the Super Bowl just a few years ago. Why? Because they drafted well. They acquired some really nice pieces for dirt cheap in trades. Uh, and then they picked up key veteran free agents. There's not one way to build a team. You can go about it in 15, 16 different ways. And that's where I want to see the Niners get creative this offseason. Look, if Bosa falls to them right in the number two spot, and they just end up snagging him and taking him, and he ends up being a generational player, we're all going to you know, applaud and go crazy. I mean, last year I thought, well, I know Solomon looked terrible, but Reuben Foster looked like a top five inside linebacker. I said, man, that was a great pick, great value. Fast forward to this year, he's not even on the team, you know? And I know people are going to crucify that pick, and and, in hindsight, I probably will too at some point. But let's not forget, Ruben was a stud for this team, and he didn't know what he was doing this year. But last year, he was a stud for this team. So it always goes back to just freaking nail the pick. Just Mm -hmm. nail the pick. Get the right guy who works for your system. And this, it goes back to the defensive coordinator, which we talked about at the Super Bowl. I'm not 100% sold on Robert Sala. I'm rooting for him. I want to see him do well. But this obsession that I'm only going to run this particular defense and it's not going to work unless I have these particular players, 
That smacks of Chip Kelly. That smacks of stubbornness. Chip Kelly once said, hey, if I gave you Mike, Mike Allstott as a fullback, I can't use him because there's no fullback in my system. Really? Great coaches find a way to utilize people to their, their best and minimize what they don't do well. And that's where I go back to the Trent Brown thing, and I'm like, okay, I understand. He was a malcontent. You guys were done with him. But to just give him to New England, and then he's the starting left tackle for Tom Brady, winning the Super Bowl a year later, making uh, Bosa's brother look tiny, Ugh, that was just another gut punch for this, uh, this front office for me. I, it really is. Like, how did you not see that this guy is an absolute ass kicker? Yeah, the Trent Brown thing. So I, I remember seeing Trent Brown for the first time. I was uh, at that practice at Kizar a few years back when Chip Kelly was the coach, and Trent Brown came out, and and they're like half they're they're half suited up. They're wearing uh, just the shoulder pads. He's massive. Oh god, he's the okay. most massive human being I've ever seen in my life. Isn't he, man? He's on a team full of big guys. He is the biggest guy, and I can't it's believe unreal. that that they didn't uh, get more out of him. But I mean, it's one of those situations where sometimes a player just needs a change of scenery and he just happened to go into new England and, and fall into a situation where they needed a left tackle and Tom Brady is his quarterback. And I think that that's a lot being a lot of has to be said for Tom Brady as well. Cause man, oh, of course, the way, of the way course. he plays, he can make a lot of offensive linemen look good. Cause I like, remember course. um the 49ers got uh what was it? Cooper, right. From, from the, the yeah, Jonathan Cooper. Yeah, and he and he, he was a former first round pick, and he went to the Cardinals, and he was okay there, and he didn't do anything here. So I think that a lot has to be said about the quarterback and the scheme that you're running. And and Trent Brown, what, like remember when he left, he was lazy, he was kind of despondent, like he really just wasn't interested. And lo and behold, he plays with Tom Brady, and he's a Super Bowl champion. Isn't that funny how that happens? Like you get well, to yeah, winning. But I would ask you this. I would ask you this though, Zane. My my, my this whole scheme narrative. What scheme does Weston Richburg play? Explain to me what scheme he looks good in because he's the shit. He mm -hmm. cannot play. Like, he mm -hmm. can't play in any scheme. So I, I, I really get very frustrated when I hear this, we're only going to run this one scheme. Like, to me, that's not how the NFL is now. Every mm -hmm. single offense adopts all these principles from the spread, from the power. They're running all these different – for you to just say, we're going to be in this base Seattle defense, like, to me, that's stubborn. And, 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 and maybe I'm being philosophic, philosophically uh, – I'm thinking about it way too much, but it frustrates me to see this team move off of players who are decent starters, okay? I'm not saying Trent Brown was otherworldly, but here's an example for a guy this offseason, Eric Armstead. I've crucified Eric Armstead for what he isn't, but what he is is a solid player, solid mm -hmm. player. Yes, the price tag is going to be steep this year, but are they in a position to allow Eric Armstead to walk, even if he's commanding $9, $10 million a year? I think I still bring him back another year or two just to see what he has. And again, I'm not the biggest Eric Armstead fan, but it's more of I can't let quality players walk out of the building anymore because this team needs to continue to build. And that's where I got frustrated with the Trent Brown thing. You're not in a position to allow quality players to walk out of the building. Same thing with Daniel Kilgore, who ended up tearing his ACL. Like, they should have kept him on the roster. Um, and that's, I, I know I sound like I'm crazy. I'm on my high horse here. But it frustrates me because this team is so far away. I still see them as a bottom six, seven roster in the league. And so when you're in those types of positions and you're not up against the cap, keep all these guys. It's not mm. like there isn't fluidity when it comes to contracts and you can cut people and get out from underneath these contracts. That's one thing. You say anything you want about Prague Morate. He's never burned the 49ers when it comes to a contract. That mm. guy is as smart as any when it comes to contracts. I will give him his just due there. They don't get burned on contracts. No, not at all. And I think that... Uh... 
the the deals that Prague hands out, they're all they all seem to be team friendly deals. They all seem to be front loaded. All right, like we're gonna keep the long term mm-hmm. cap. Forty ers if you remember in the early two thousands, the the roster purge of losing Jeff Garcia and Terrell Owens and and the transition from Mariucci to Erickson, basically they they cleaned out the entire roster because they were up against the cap because of years of neglect. Derek Terry Donahue and and uh, and the the cap mismanagement that he had had totally crippled the team and you never see that anymore when when since Prague has been with the team for the last decade or so so I, I wholeheartedly agree on that when it comes to the the state of the roster itself so I mean I really think that the that I'm I'm higher on Kyle Shanahan than most are I think that he he got the most out of a roster that shouldn't have had that many wins or that much success like you're talking about Agreed. starting I agree I agree yeah I you're agree talking about starting guys like you know Marcel Harris was a late late round pick and he's starting a strong safety for you. And your Matt Burrito was an undrafted free agent. Now he's rushing for almost a thousand yards. George Kittle five, fifth round pick. And he's the, the most prolific tight end in NFL history for one season. So I think that the coaching staff can get the most out of bottom of the roster players. But, but I agree in the fact that why are you having to do that? Like when you have yeah. cap space, you shouldn't have to do that. And I think that for that reason and many others, like this is a make or break off season for them. And, and circling back to the draft, that's why you need a blue chip player because you can no longer stop guys that are like, oh, you know what? He's going to be like a, a five-year starter and, and be okay at his position. No, you need like an all pro. You need <laughs> yeah. an MVP candidate sort of player at this point on your team because you don't have one. You don't have yeah. that, that type of player. So I think that, Zane, that, that, for that 2017 pick of Solomon Thomas, I mean, had they picked any other player in the first, 11, 12, 13 picks, any other player, they would have a competent, borderline pro bowl type talent on their team. They passed up so many good players. Jamal Adams, staring them in the face. Even Mike Williams, who's shown probably the least of what all the other guys slotted around him have shown, you can see there's a player there, right? But they picked the one guy who's no good in Solomon Thomas, and I want to root for the guy, but my goodness, he does nothing well. I don't know what he does well. And it's really set them back. And when they miss on all those quarterbacks, seeing what Patrick Mahomes did this year and seeing what, uh, what Deshaun Watson did the year prior, I'm asking myself, Kyle, and I, again, I like Kyle. I'm, Kyle, how did you not see it in all of these quarterbacks and yet you moved up to go get C.J. Beathard? And I could tell within four or five snaps in a preseason game, and I said this on air, I said this when we did our postgame shows, I was like, Nick Mullins is a better football player than C.J. Beathard. Everything mm-hmm. C.J. does is slow. And yeah. that one move, not taking a quarterback and then picking Solomon Thomas, it's really screwed them for this last two years. They cannot make that same mistake this year in that draft. And that's why I know what you're saying. If you trade out of that number two spot, I mean, you're, you're going to potentially miss it. The key is just nail the pick. And I know that sounds super simplistic. Just whoever you're going to pick has to be the right guy who can come in and ball out immediately. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and they're in need of those players. And if they, so I've seen a couple of mock drafts and a couple of them have them drafting Quinn Williams, who's the, the D tackle um, at the, at the number two overall pick. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? He's a really good player and he would be a really nice addition to the team. And, and he is arguably the best player uh, that's, that that's in this draft, if depending on who you talk to, but they don't, they don't need that. Man, if they draft Quinn and Williams, I, I I am going to throw my remote through the TV, man. They do not <laughs> Let me need ask another- you a question. Let me ask you a question, Dan. This is the one I'm posing to everyone. What is the drop-off between DeForest Buckner and the next defensive lineman on the team? Right? You, whatever you think that drop-off is. Now, what is the drop-off between whoever 
an average D end on any other team versus what we're trotting out there. Their number one sack specialist in 2017 was old man Elvis Dumerville. They didn't bring him back. They did not address that at all. They tried to bring in Cassius Marsh to, you know, at the end of the year in 2017. They thought he could fulfill the role. Like, that's a huge drop-off, you know? I don't need, I don't need Quinnen Williams when I actually like DJ Jones alongside of DeForest Buckner. And now exactly. here's my other question. What's the drop-off between Kendrick Bourne and the average NFL wide receiver? Looking around the division, like even Larry Fitzgerald, he'd be easily the number one on our team. Tyler Lockett would be a number one on our team. Doug Walden would be a number one on our team. Like the drop-off from those players to Kendrick Bourne, and I like Kendrick Bourne, but that's a massive drop-off. So I, I completely agree with you. If they take Quinnen Williams, like that's not an area of need, and I don't think he's going to like pop – like some of these other positions that we desperately need impact from. Like, if he's a two-down lineman, most D-tackles that you draft aren't three-down linemen. They're mm. usually two-down linemen, right? And that's like, how am I getting value there? He never is going to touch the football. He's not going to be in on third and longs. He's not going to be trying to rush the quarterback. Like, I just, I don't see it. And especially if you look at this defensive front, they rotate left and right. Like, you're constantly rotating. So now that player you took with a number two overall pick isn't going to see the field as much as, let's say, a safety or a wide receiver or a guard or a DN. Like, that's why I'm leaning more toward Bosa, Josh Allen, those types of players, because they're going to be on the field much, much more than a Quinnen Williams is. Am I crazy? No, not at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm right there with you. When I see that, I seriously want to throw up in my mouth. And that's not to say Quinnen <laughs> Williams is a bad player, but that's to say that, like, can you imagine? It's, it's basically, Joe, it's basically the same as saying that there's a, a, a top quarterback coming out and he's like a foregone conclusion that he's going to be number one or number two. You already have Jimmy Garoppolo on your roster. Oh, but you know what? He's a good player. He's really talented. Let's go pick him or a running back, a running back. That's going to go number one or number two. You already have Brian McKinnon. You're like, you know what? We need more running backs. Let's go draft that guy. Like you, you can't be, you don't win by being redundant. Right? So those, Agreed. those mock drafts with Quentin Williams is number one. I'm like, or number two going to the Niners. I'm like, forget that. That's not going to happen. It's going to be, Either they're going to trade back or it'll be one of the edge rushers or it'll be somebody that's desperate for Kyler Murray. And speaking of Kyler Murray, man, I don't, so I'm a, I'm a diehard Ace fan. I know you're a Giants fan. I'm a diehard Ace fan. I'm like one of those weird, confused uh, Bay Area people that's an Ace fan, but also a Niners fan. Because, so. because the Niners were in the East Bay be, during the 80s and the Raiders were down in LA. I mean, there's exactly. actually a lot more, there's actually a lot more than you think. So you're probably what, around 30 something years old? Yeah, yeah, I'm in my early 30s. Exactly. So I'm glad you understand because people explain to me, well, weren't you a Raiders fan? Well, it's because there were no Oakland Raiders when I started watching football. I'm so glad that somebody exactly. finally can understand that. So believe me, I get it. It's, if you would have said you're a Dodger fan and a Niner fan, then we're going to have beef. That's kind of weird. Although I know, I, I do know that we have some Lakers fans that are also Niners fans that listen to the pod. So shout out to y'all. Um, enjoy <laughs> missing the playoffs of LeBron. Um, peace. Um, yeah. <laughs> Great. And, all. and give us Luke Walton back. Yeah, exactly. Give the words Luke Walton back. But um, I'm a diehard A's fan, and I, I have been my entire life. Like, I grew up playing baseball. I played baseball in college. Like, baseball, like, is and was my life for a number of years of my life. So I look at the A's and what they are today. They are an organization that is run basically like a 10-cent organization. Lou Wolf and the, the ownership group is incredibly cheap. They are playing in a stadium that's three-quarters empty, and it, it, that's run down. You don't have a long-term financial commitment from the team to be re-signed if you do well. And you're more, more than likely not competing for championships. You're just happy to go to the playoffs. And on top of that, 
you will probably be traded in three to four years to some other team. So you do not know where your home will be. So I don't blame Kyler Murray one bit for going, going towards football because playing for the A's and I love the A's, but playing for the A's coming into this league, it's not desirable. You don't want to go there because you know what? It's just a pit stop in your career. They're not going to commit to you. So I, I don't know if yeah. you feel the same way, but I mean, I think that he, I think he made a mistake going away from football because I think that baseball long-term will make him more money, but I understand why he went to football given who drafted him in baseball. Well, I mean, this off season, I'm a diehard baseball fan as well. I mean, I love all the sports, whatever season it is. That's my favorite sport. That's kind of how we grew up in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's basketball season, basketball is our favorite baseball though. I think this is really sad for baseball. Not only do you have no African-American young uh, stud players playing anymore, but clearly you are the third banana behind football and behind basketball when it comes to just young people and, and their engagement and how much they like it. Regarding how much money he can make, we've, breaking it, we've broken it down on our radio station because I actually did a show for about eight months with Chris Townsend, who's the voice of the Oakland A's, and he just left to, do, uh, to work for the A's. And him and I have been kicking this around the entire time. The 32nd pick in the draft, okay, Lamar Jackson, got more guaranteed money than what Kyler was going to be guaranteed at signing with the Oakland A's. I have a bunch of friends who played in the minor leagues. My buddy minor league, Matt, played seven years under the uh, Washington Nationals organization uh, in their minor league, just got stuck at AAA, had a family, had to bounce out. He's basically telling me that, like, I get it. There's 60-something percent of big leaguers that are drafted in the first round. Make it to the bigs, okay? That, that's a high number for, for outfielders. That's the number mm. for outfielders, about 60-something percent. But of that 60-something percent, only like 20% actually make it to free agency, meaning they get the three years of big league service to actually get there. So I understand where people are saying, oh, there's more money to be had at the baseball level. Yeah, but you have to literally, before his clock can even start ticking for free agency, he would have to have three full seasons in Major League Baseball, plus however many seasons under team control of arbitration before that. So there's just the financial impact for him. There's so much more money to be made as a quarterback in the NFL. Look at Chase Daniels. Chase Daniels has taken like 17 snaps up until this season when he finally got some run with the Bears. The guy's made $40 million. Ask mm-hmm. Blaine Gabbert how much money he's made holding a clipboard. I mean, it's, I, if I'm Kyler, the decision to make was football because at no point has it been more adapted for young, small, fast guys to thrive in the league than right now. You can't touch a quarterback. The rules have been bended for you. Obviously, Baker Mayfield, the guy you practice with every single day, was the offensive rookie of the year behind Saquon Barkley. Um, You know, I don't think the A's foresaw that he was going to have the season he did. And I don't think Kyler Murray foresaw that he was going to have the season he did. But as a baseball fan, it just sucks because I think he would have been a very high-profile young person to finally pick baseball over basketball, over football. I go back to Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield drafted in all three major sports, one of the greatest athletes of our lives, uh, in our lifetimes, and he chose baseball and had like a 25-year baseball career. Ricky Henderson could have played in the NFL as a running back, chose baseball out of high school. You know, all these guys that were great athletes, Barry Bonds, right down the road here at Sarah. Phenomenal basketball player. Played against my uncle for many, many years. Obviously, he chose baseball. Ken Griffey Jr. chose baseball. And what's the comment? These are all African-American guys who had options to play other sports. And so it kind of breaks my heart that he's not going to play baseball. I saw him as maybe a Mookie Betts 2.0 type with the power, the speed, the size, the arm strength. I just it, it, It breaks my heart, but I don't blame him and his family for chasing the football dream. Let's be honest. 
being the Heisman winner at Oklahoma is more street cred and you're more popular than being the minor league guy for the Oakland A's. I mean, he's more recognizable than Matt Chapman, who's one of the best players in baseball right now. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's just the reality, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. And when it comes down to the choice, I mean, personally, like I say, it because like, personally, I was in that same sort of position where I was coming out of high school, I was playing football, I was playing baseball. And I'm like, you know what, I want to play football longer, but I wasn't the biggest guy, right? So I'm like, my my future is not in this game. And I realized that sure. baseball would eventually take me where I wanted to go. So I, I understand the thought process and all those things. It's just one of those things as an ace fan, it stings, right? <laughs> it stings exactly. because, because and, and would his decision be Zane, would his decision be different where he drafted by a more high-profile team? Let's say the Yankees. Let's say the Dodgers, the Red Sox. Heaven forbid the Giants. I know Ace fans don't like hearing that, but a team with a little more gravitas, I still think he makes the decision to go play football. Now, I still think the decision's a little harder, but the fact that it's the A's, I mean, it feels like a no-brainer. And that's not a shot at the A's. It's just the reality. Yeah, and, uh, well, no, I know, I absolutely, I think it is, <laughs> I think it is, absolutely reasonable to to feel that way given the way that the a's are run and given the way that they can contend it's like they're not run like the giants are they're not they don't have that same sort of outlook with how their team is going to be over the next five to seven years like you know the giants are going to go for it we're talking about signing bryce harper and the a's are talking about signing who like they're basically looking to fill out the rotation so i think that it's one of those things where kyler murray as a first round pick if he fails in his first destination he's going to get a second shot and he's going to yeah. get a third shot. And he's going to get a fourth shot. Like like these guys, like Blaine Gabbert is getting how many shots? Mark Sanchez is getting how many shots? You know what I mean? Like these guys, Joe Flacco is on is has had how long of a leash? And uh, well, and Dane, what- here here here's the elephant in the room. And I don't mean to cut you off, but what I heard from the Senior Bowl from all the different people we sent down there and that I've conversed with, teams are more than likely to roll the dice on Kyler Murray in the first round. For two reasons. Number one, obviously the athleticism. They saw what happened with Lamar Jackson this year, even though he's a lot smaller. But number two, you could start him from day one, get the cachet, and if he flames out, let's say he flames out in two years, you're in a position to draft Trevor Lawrence, who might be the best prospect we've ever seen since Peyton Manning in the NFL. So it's really a win-win situation even if your organization loses you know and if i'm like the raiders i have the fourth pick overall i'm rolling into vegas i'm trying to get psls i'm trying to you know maybe push Derek Carr. why wouldn't you look at kyler murray yeah absolutely and and all that affects the 49ers how because teams will be willing to trade up yeah quarterbacks we know that we know that teams get desperate they want to trade up 49ers are in a, are in a really good position to con- to control the top of this draft. We know that Arizona probably doesn't need one. Although again, I I will laugh really hard if they draft Kyler Mur- Kyler Murray and trade Josh Rosen. And we know that there are several teams behind the Niners that need one. So that being said, I think that that they're they're in a really good position. But you mentioned something really interesting about uh, uh, the viewership of football and how it falls within the the grander scheme uh, in this country. And I want I want to circle back to that for a second. The AAFL out or whatever the the outrated the mm-hmm. the weekend of basketball when it was on. So last Saturday, <laughs> the AAF, which is basically not an amateur football league, but like a bunch of washed up NFL players and guys who never really saw the field. Out, I saw a bunch of former a bunch of former Forty Nine er people, Mike Singletary, Dennis yeah, Erickson. I, was, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I yeah, couldn't I believe like, it. I mean, this is the <laughs> candlestick era Forty Nine ers down the stretch right here. 
I know, I know. The same guys that were like, we're talking about the darkest era of the, of the 49ers <laughs> are now getting jobs in this league. So they actually outrated the, the, that Saturday of basketball where LeBron was playing and the Warriors. It, it, was, it was crazy. And it just shows that football is king in this country. Football is, has been and will be king in this country. And when you look at the, the marquee players in this league and, and the teams that are at the top of the league, like you want, you want to be one of the teams at the top of the league because everybody knows who Tom Brady is. Everybody knows who Aaron Rodgers is. Everybody knows, everybody knows about how hard it is to go play in Seattle teams from people from other sports. Talk about that. People who don't watch sports know who Tom Brady is. Like, I want that to be what the 49ers have. I want the 49ers to be a cultural icon. Like they used to be when they were winning in the dynasty. Right? Like if you look at, do you remember how it was in the pro bowl? First of all, I think that they moved the, the whole pro bowl, uh, uh, gimmick of putting it before the super bowl and putting it in Orlando is not working. Stupid. It's so stupid. stupid. Like yeah. they need to put that thing after the super bowl. They need to move it back to Hawaii. The players exactly. get a free, they get a free Hawaiian vacation for them and their, their families. The, the super bowl winners will probably play that game. Cause it's a victory lap for you. Cause you can go and show off the fact that you've won the super bowl to all your, all your homies that are actually there at the game. And on top of that, it's your last little bit of football before the next season. Like, I don't know about you, man, but like I used to like NFL primetime was my favorite show, right? Like that was my favorite show as a kid. It wasn't Ninja Turtles. It wasn't like Ghostbusters. It was NFL primetime, right? Chris Berman, Tom Jackson. My favorite thing about the pro bowl was that it was the last little bit of football until the longest off season of any sport, the longest time waiting between meaningful games of any sport, nine months, the, the Pro Bowl would end in, in, at that time in, in the first week of February. And from February until September, you had nothing but dead air. And I mean, baseball was awesome. as baseball season was fantastic. But for, as far as football, it'd be my last chance to see Jerry Rice, last chance to see Steve Young, last, last chance to see Brent Jones and all the great 49ers, my favorite players, last chance to see them before the offseason. And they really need to move that. They, they, they need to move it back to after the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Pro Bowl just doesn't evoke emotion for me anymore. It used to be something I really liked. I'm more intrigued by the skills competitions and things that they do the day before. I would agree. Yeah, move it back to Hawaii. Move it to the week after the Super Bowl. There's no question on that. Uh, regarding viewership, because that's something that I'm, I'm all over this. Baseball is a marathon. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that's with you all year. So a game in May doesn't have the sense of urgency as a playoff game in October. And you hear most people that love baseball are like, playoff baseball is the best. A lot of your NBA fans, they're going to say the same thing. Playoff NBA basketball is awesome. It is, but there is no sense of urgency, even in a seven-game series, like unless it gets to game five or something like that. Like there really isn't a whole lot of sense of urgency. The NFL, I don't care if it's week one. Week two, week seven, week 16, the playoffs. There's always a sense of urgency. And one big play can make or break an entire regime's status within that organization. I mean, think, think of how big that play was for the Miami Dolphins on the Miami Miracle with Gronkowski. We were already ready to say, oh, the Patriots are finished. Look at the mm-hmm. Dolphins. Adam Gay say my backdoor into the playoffs. And then, you know, it ends up being a moot point down the line. But I go back to those AFC and NFC championship games on those Sunday, that Sunday. That was one of the most thrilling, dramatic uh, bits of theater that television can possibly provide. You have the layers of people that everyone knows. I think fantasy football has done a fantastic job. And again, because it's only one game a week, unlike the other sports, it enables it to be consumed so much easier. You can follow the entire league as a whole because there isn't a lot of inventory of games. 
and all like even my wife, she plays fantasy football. She knows exactly who Big Ben Roethlisberger is. She knows exactly who Le'Veon Bell is, who Antonio Brown is. She can spot them out. If I brought up, you know, unless it's Bumgarner or Posey, she can't name Brandon Crawford on the Giants, and he's won two World Series for them, you know, and he's very distinct mm. with the curly hair and everything. The NFL just brings it as far as like a TV package. It's the most easily consumed product of all the major sports. And they've done a great job. The red zone is the most fantastic thing in the world. It never goes to commercial. It's genius. It's mm. absolutely genius. And that's why, like, as a Niner fan, how hard is it for a lot of fans when they're sitting at home? Now, I like to go to the games, but a lot of people when they're sitting at home, if they're getting blown out, it's hard to just stick through it. Back in the day, Channel 2, you would just have our local broadcast on. There were no other options. Now, you can go outside. You can flip the channel to the red zone. If you have direct TV, you can go to the specific game that your fantasy quarterback is playing in or root against another fantasy quarterback who you're going up against. The NFL will always be supreme. And then the giant elephant in the room, gambling. As long as there's gambling, all the young people with Bovada and the way you can gamble now online, it's, it's created an, an appetite that is literally unquenchable. You cannot give us enough football. We will bet on anything. And that's why the AFL, whatever the hell it's called, the Alliance, whatever they want to call it this week, I think it's going to get good ratings moving forward as long as the product stays good. And I like some of the concepts that they've incorporated. Hearing these guys in the booth talking about the particular replay that they're going over, I want that transparency in the NFL. How many times are we watching the same replay and it's so obvious to you and me at home on our couch, and yet they're taking 16 minutes to figure out whether the ball hit the ground or not? Like, I want to know what they're talking about when they make that decision because, again, regime changes are all on the bounce of a ball. If Kyle Shanahan goes 7-9 and nine this next year, he's on the hot seat. But if he, let's say, wins a game here and there and they sneak into the playoffs, his legacy has changed forever. Wouldn't you agree? And I, I mm-hmm. want to see more transparency because there's so much at stake, you know, for all of these people. Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, Jed York, the organization trying to print money. So um, I'm, I'm with you on the viewership thing. It's, it, the NFL, our, our quench for it is unreal. Let's put it this way. The, the fact that the Pro Bowl gain more viewers than game two of last year's NBA finals should tell you enough about football. And that's, that's something that, that actually uh, shocked me. So I think that the NFL, you know, it's, it is the, the greatest sport to me. I mean, it's, it's marketed the best and it has, it, it does the best with the superstar. I see, I think the NBA is just as good with the superstars, but I mean, the NFL, like the finality of it, it's, it's fantastic. Everything is a big production. And, and while it does get to be a lot at some times when it's like a Thursday night and you have like the Browns, well, the Browns are good now, but the Browns before Baker Mayfield and like, you know, they're playing like a team like, oh, the, the Cardinals who are rebuilding, you know, you don't want to see Browns Cardinals on Thursday night, right? So things like that can be tweaked, but I, but I do agree that this is, the, this is the, the best league and it is run for what we say about Roger Goodell. I, I think he's a clown, but I think that he, he knows how to make money and, and that's why he's there. So, man, that's, that's a lot to think about that's a lot to talk about man i mean we we chopped it really good man this this has been fun dude like we we uh this is the first time we've actually talked uh at all outside of outside of twitter i think uh i think this is the beginning of something good man yeah call me anytime i know i blab like crazy it's just uh i love the niners man i grew up and i didn't realize how great i had it growing up right a stone's throw from candlestick watching the glory days watching this team win i mean i thought it was my birthright 
to win the NFC West by a game and a half, two games every single year, get that first round by, you know, host a game in, in January on the wet, soggy turf of Candlestick. And it, it breaks my heart that, A, the team moved, but, B, that they're not any good. Because when I, like, again, I go back to that Sunday, I, I'm, I'm telling you, AFC, NFC Championship game. I remember when San Francisco, I'm a fifth-generation San Francisco, the city would shut down. All mm-hmm. your neighbors, all the corner stores, everybody would be flying their flags. When the game was going on, you could rob the entire city because everyone was glued to the 49ers. It's not like that anymore. And it just it breaks my heart to see an entire generation of would-be 49er fans, like my nephews, my nieces, all my, all my little cousins and stuff. They're in their 20s. The Niners have never been great. You know, they had a little run, a little blip on the radar. So what have they become? They're, they're all Pittsburgh Steelers fans or New England Patriot fans because those are the teams that win. This team desperately needs to get back to winning because they're losing a core of that young demo diehard fan that you and I are now. You know, we're at that age. We're having kids and stuff. But you're missing that generation, and you need to win. And that's why it's so important. I want them to win. I'm harsh. I'm mean. But, Zane, I want them back in the playoffs bad, man. I agree. And I remember – do you remember <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Do you remember 94 when they beat the Cowboys? Well, January 95. But when they beat the Cowboys – I was at that game. I was you were at that my grandpa. Gosh, I was, oh, yeah. I was 9 or 10 years old, man. And I vividly remember that day. People were outside on the street celebrating as if the 49ers won the Super Bowl. And they beat when they had just beaten the Cowboys. They still had the Super yeah. Bowl to play. And when they rolled into to Miami to play the, the Chargers, there was no doubt. There was no doubt in my mind that they that they would win that game. There's no doubt in anybody's mind. And I miss, obviously the NFL has changed. The NFL doesn't like that. They don't like dynasties. They don't, which makes what the Patriots are doing even more remarkable. But they don't like that. They they don't want teams to do that. So I think that the first step, again, like you said, is to is to win games, is to make the playoffs. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? Like we have to remember that the goal is to win championships. And and I really believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is the next quarterback for the 49ers that will bring a championship back to San Francisco. It's just a matter of them realizing that same thing and putting pieces around him. So absolutely. Before- he, he's not gonna drag them across the line. As great as Brady is, look at all the other ancillary pieces that helped them win that game. Gronk. Edelman, I mean, freak Edelman's phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's phenomenal. Uh, Hightower, look at the two McCourty boys. Like, you can name all of their key contributors. Van Noyes coming out of nowhere, you know? Mm-hmm. They've got so many players that, that help contribute. And that's where everyone gets obsessed with the Earl Thomases of the world, and I agree with them. But it's that second tier of free agents. That's where they need to get really smart and find value in the margins and stop letting guys go who can provide depth to this team because – how many times have you seen Jaquaski Tart, Jimmy Ward, whoever, name the safety, walk off the field after four or five snaps with a broken arm, and now mm. we're playing some undrafted free agent at safety. Like, they need to hit the second-tier free agent market hard this year. Don't spend all the money, but spend enough wisely to where you build this team around Jimmy and let him lead you to the, to the playoffs. That's, God, they need to get back to the playoffs, Dane. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And you know who's going to help them? Antonio Brown. Have you seen the amount oh. of Antonio Brown <laughs> propaganda, Brown. Antonio Brown to the 49ers propaganda that's out there, man? If he Our doesn't, doing the most of it. <laughs> they are every every day. I listen. I listen to you guys when I when I'm on my way home from work, and and it's just they're talking about Antonio Brown and and how he posts another picture in a 49ers jersey or some Niner liked his post or somebody's recruiting him. And is this is this really gonna happen or is this a pipe dream? Uh, if I had to bet, I would say it's a pipe dream. But if they're going to make this move, 
do not surrender any 2019 draft capital. Just mm. trade 2020 picks. Get creative. If you have to send Marquise Goodwin and offset it with a second or third rounder in the 2020 draft, do it. If, if you have to get creative and package in somebody else, I don't know who that would be. I'm just saying, like, this is where I get to be creative, John Lynch. Don't just throw that number two overall pick for Antonio Brown. Like, that's, that's not good. That's not good value. That's not how you build this team. Just giving away a massive asset like the number two pick. Trade the 2020 pick. Trade some of these future picks. Look what the Bears did. The Bears bet on themselves, and they traded their future draft picks for Khalil Mack. They got into the playoffs. Now that draft pick is so much lower this upcoming year than it would have been had they not swung that deal. Um, mm. And they're getting back a second-round pick because they got creative. Get creative, John Lynch. And this is where the guy we haven't talked about, Adam Peters. You know, Adam mm. Peters, you are a highly touted scout. You're a highly touted talent evaluator. This is where you need to make your, make your money, bro, is on this particular offseason and this draft. They have to hit this draft, not just a first-round pick. That high second-round pick, they got to crush that draft pick right there. They really mm -hmm. do. I need at least three starters out of this draft. Yeah, I agree. And they, they really just need to get guys that are ready to play from day one. It's not even just starters. Yeah. It's like, all right, like you are going to perform at a high level. And, and when you get a guy like Antonio Brown, that immediately takes away one need and, and you will have to pay to get him. You're going to have to pay his contract, obviously, which they can fit under the cap and you'll have to pay compensation with the draft, which seems to be dropping now with every tweet or whatever Antonio Brown does, like everything that he does, he's just kind of killing his own trade value, which is better for the Niners because they can pick him up. But I think that they'll look into it. It's going to be one of those things, those due diligence things. And, and if they can land him, then uh, Jimmy's finally got, uh, he's finally got the number one that we want him to get. So it'll be interesting, man. And, and um, before you go, so I mentioned that, uh, the, the Tim Kawakami thing and not everybody's, not everybody's a fan of the Warriors. I understand that, that, that listens to this podcast. And uh, I'm, so I'm like a, a, a Bulls fan, but I'm also like a Warriors fan because they're, they're hometown. Right. But um, I'm mm -hmm. a Jordan, I'm a Jordan truther. Right. So I'm, okay. I'm Michael Jordan was my guy. Right. So, and I don't change teams. I don't, I don't stop watching a team if they lose. So because of that, I've been a Bulls fan, a long-suffering Bulls fan. Um, but the Warriors oh, are like... Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry. This is oh, their year. God, man. Those, and and uh, what, Trent Hassel and... and uh, <laughs> they drafted our test. Dougie and, McDermott. Oh, Dougie McDermott, baby. Jay Williams. Oh, the list goes on. Oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, I do support the Warriors too, and it's funny to see all this stuff coming out about KD leaving, and 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 everybody heard about the press conference the other day and how he called that Tim Kawakami for something that Sam S or not Sam S. Um, um, that was written by by somebody else. Ethan Sherwood Strauss. Ethan Sherwood Strauss. Sam S. I want to put, throw him under the bus. Ethan Sherwood Strauss wrote something, and, and KD was getting all bent out of shape about it, but. It's just funny to me, man, because like, I, I don't want to seem like an old fart, but like back in my day, <laughs> those, those sentences, all those stories always start out so great back in my day, so-and-so happened. But back in my day, like when athletes used to get criticized in, in the papers, they used to kind of shrug it off, right? They were like, they didn't really care. They're like, you know what? I'm going to do my thing. And they would go out and have a huge game. And then eventually criticism would stop. But nowadays it seems like athletes just are so sensitive to everything that happens to them, everything that's written about them, everything that's said about them. And for somebody at KD's level, the arguably the greatest player in the game right now, like to 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 respond to Ethan Sherwood Strauss's report about his preference of about where he wanted to play and and where he viewed himself versus LeBron and, and his legacy and all this stuff. Who cares? You're stacking rings. 
for me, I'm old school, man. Championships, rings, talk. Like, I mean, if you're stacking chips on chips, that's what should matter. Not what some writer thinks about you or what the public perception is of you. History will remember you by your championships, not what some article some guy wrote in February of 20, 2019. So I, I, don't know yeah, how, but, I don't know how you feel about that. No, well, well there's a lot, to, a lot to say here. So n- number one, they're, they're humans. At their core, they're still humans. And everyone wants to be liked at their core. Even the people who say they don't want to be liked. You know what I mean? They, they, they do. We want appraisal and we want to be praised from our peers. We want it from the fans. That's what most people want. This isn't the WWE where you come out to booze, you know? You want mm-hmm. to be liked. When it comes to old school athletes, I grew up reading the Chronicle, right? And so the San Francisco Chronicle, you had Ira Miller, Glenn Dickey, Lowell Cohn, all these guys, old school, diehard beat reporters. You know that they would write articles like, and here's an example, Joe Montana should have planned his birth so that he wouldn't have his child be born during the regular season. And I remember Joe was furious with all of the local writers uh, that they would even insinuate such a thing. So this is nothing new. It's just the way we are now and how we consume the media. Everyone's trying to make a name off bashing people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if I'm Kevin Durant and I have a problem with someone directly, I kind of actually like the villain thing. I grew up loving Terrell Owens. I like Barry Bonds, one of my favorite athletes ever. I kind of like it when they say F you back to somebody because it's just like at some point, you are challenging that person for what they stand for. And I think that we discredit these athletes on the journey and how hard they worked to get to where they're at. So once they get to that point, I think it's okay for them to, to drop a FU to somebody, even if it's not, not as direct as that, but like in the way that Durant did it, I don't really have that big of a problem. And you saw this with the 49ers this year with uh, the guy, I forget the guy's name, Ryan Sakamoto or whatever, 49er beast writer. He wrote something on his Twitter timeline about Eric Armstead. And Eric Armstead flashed back at him. Well, finally, Eric Armstead, I wish you would show that kind of, you know, anger and frustration on the field. But it was good to actually see him stand up and defend himself. Now, is it healthy? Do I want my kids consuming that kind of negativity? Not necessarily. But I also think that somebody needs to keep some of these journalists in balance. And I think there needs to be a checks and balances. And I don't think that the Tim Kawakami types, They try to insert themselves into the story, and that's where I have a problem. See, at my core, I'm a fan, and I freely admit it, and I'm not some journalist trying to cure cancer. I feel like a lot of journalism today, they try to, you need us to tell you about the game you just saw. And it's a disservice to the fans because they really think that fans are stupid. And I, I just don't think that way. I think actually fans are much more educated about the game they're watching than the people that are covering it, for example. Like, Zane, you said you played baseball. How many thousands of innings have you been, or how many thousands of ground balls have you taken? How many thousands of pitches have you seen in a batting cage off of a tee? And someone's going to tell you something about baseball that you don't already know? Right. I, I mean, yes, right. you can learn nuance and layers and maybe some, you know, like I find out things all the time, like in golf, launch angle, angle of attack, you know, exit velocity. These are newer terms that when you and I were growing up, we didn't have them in baseball. But you knew when someone had a home run swing, you knew what it looked like. You knew how to explain to someone, well, when you barrel up the ball, you're going to get backspin. You're going to get topspin if you swing it this way, whatever it is. And it's just, I don't know. I just find it funny that now there's shock journalism where it's always, I gotcha. This is what's going to happen. And instead of talking about what just happened and talking about the games, we are now prognosticating about what will happen six months from now. This guy's going to go here. He's going to go there. That guy's going to leave. Look at the Antonio Brown story. We've spent more time talking about Antonio Brown's destination 
than the three, four, five years he's put together for his Hall of Fame resume, right? right. Like his actual mm -hmm. on-the-field impact to the game. And to me, it's like, can't we get a healthy balance of the two? Why do we have to be so skewed and be obsessed with the transaction of where someone's going to land? So that's where I'm, I'm like in a roundabout way trying to say it's just – it frustrates me because for every Anthony Slater who actually covers the Warriors and explains very specific plays using diagrams and videos and things like that, I, get, I see a lot of shock pieces from people like uh, Tim Kawakami trying to take people down. And to me, I'm just like, dude, in normal world situations, if someone was trying to undress you in front of a national audience, whether you're Kevin Durant or not, wouldn't that get under your skin? especially if you don't respect that person as a baseline, if you don't think that person is accurately reporting things. So I don't know. I, I see it both ways. And maybe I'm talking out of the side of my mouth, but I, I do get frustrated with the media in general on how they cover things. Like this last 49er off season, uh, season every, after every game, instead of just breaking down what we just saw, it's like, well, we can't evaluate anything. There was no defensive end. They had no pass rusher. I can learn nothing about this, uh, this the 2018 49ers. Like, Really? You, you couldn't tell that Matt Breed is an absolute stud, that George Kittle is putting together one of the best tight end seasons any of us have ever seen, that Nick Mullins looks like he can be a serviceable backup. Like, there's lots of things I can learn. And I just feel like now everything's about the clicks. And it's just, it really bugs me, man. Instead of talking about the actual games, I like talking about the games and what has happened and what they can do immediately to improve themselves for this week. You know what I mean? Not the, mm -hmm. hey, in three years from now, we could get Trevor Lawrence if we just tank. Like, that doesn't do it for me as a sports fan. I enjoy the games. And maybe I'm in the minority, but I feel like a lot of me and my boys, we just enjoy the games and like talking about the games. I love it, man. Love it. Hey, man, before we go, why don't you tell people where they can find you on Twitter? Yeah, on Twitter, you can find me at ButcherBoy415. And uh, tune in 95.7 The Game, weeknights when the Warriors aren't playing, 7 to 11. And uh, if you think I'm a gas bag, great. I'll probably agree with you because I'm full of hot <laughs> air, but I love my team. <laughs> I love my teams, and uh, I've been ripping dead York and the 49ers, but when they do good things, you know, I'm the first to praise them. So I wanted them to beat Seattle this year. I was in the rain in that stadium rooting for them. I was so happy they beat them because um, at my core, I'm a fan, and, and, and that's I love talking with other fans like yourself. I don't like to talk down to people, so hopefully I didn't come off too arrogant off off this talk but I, I appreciate you having me on thank you no man thank you so much dude this was awesome we definitely need to do this again um i can't thank you enough and to our listeners out there i know it's been a while since people have pot out um hope to get more of these out really soon to you on a more regular basis so for the butcher boy joe shasky i am zane Nackby. this has been another episode of the 49ers web zone no huddle podcast